Today on Inside the Ropes, a couple of brand new shiny additions to the Australian golfing scene and we talk to none other than Jeff Ogilvie about them. We chat to Stephen Pryor, the amputee golfer who, would you believe it, had an albatross at the weekend. And a look back at all the great results from Australians all around the world. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. Hello and welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 184. Uh, And we had such a positive response to Martin Blake last week rejoining us. We've decided to go again. I've decided to you know, really put the wind up, Andy Marr, from a selection perspective. And welcome back, Martin Blake, for a second shot at it in succession. Hello, Hazy. And you will notice that I've, uh, because we're looking at each other on a Zoom call here, that I've shaved the beard off just to stop people putting on Twitter that we're morphing into the same person. <laughs> did yeah. you, I, I gather that you noticed that. I did. Hello to Roger Vaughan for that. And the uh, solicitor's note will be in the mail from both Blakey and myself. <laughs> No, it's good to be here. And, uh, you know, you look at the golf sort of uh, schedule around the world at the moment. I think I was saying last week it's a fairly quiet time. But we've got a a women's major this week, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on uh, today. And the Aussies just keep, they just keep putting their hand up around the world, Hazy. It's been that kind of year, even though we had the big COVID break. the weekend was a was a really typical example, wasn't it? We, we didn't end up winning anything, but uh, we certainly, you know, had all, all the uh, balls in the air, so to speak. We certainly did, and we'll talk about that right now. I just want to flag that we're going to have a special guest with uh, Jeff Ogilvie joining us um, alongside Karen Lunn and Nick Dasty to talk about a couple of new innovations on the Australian PGA Tour. And we've got, I think you've got some audio from, uh, from uh, Pennsylvania, Blakey around Hannah yeah. Green and uh, before the title defence that you said we'll talk about. But yes, you're right. Uh, and one other thing I should mention too, geez, how could I forget this? Uh, it's National Amputee Awareness Week and we're going to talk to a bloke who's done something, well, I think genuinely amazing, Stephen Pryor. We'll talk to him soon or a little later on in the show. But you're right, Blakey, he's just one of, um, well, I would want to say a few, but it's more than a few this week of the Australians who've done something as you say, spectacular without a victory um, last weekend around the world's tours. Yeah, that that sounds outstanding, Hazy. So let's talk. Let's talk about the uh, European tour um, first, because I think, you know, in a lot of ways, that was the uh, it, the standout performance from Lucas Herbert. But before we delve into what he did, we should make reference to the fact that uh, Wade Ormsby was uh, right there in the final group. Uh, on the Sunday, and before that, that Minwoo Lee actually led after 18 holes as well, or but just before the 18 hole mark, maybe. Um, it was a it was a big week, and then along came Lucas Herbert, mate. Yeah, Lucas was absolutely outstanding on the last day, Hazy. I mean, I I, uh, I wasn't sort of anticipating that, I guess you'd say. And then I got up very early that morning. I could see that he, uh, I think he was five under through eight holes uh, of the final round makes another birdie on 10. He ends up in front of the tournament. In fact, he was a shot in front on his own at one stage on the back nine and really ends up shooting 65 on the final day, posts his score and, of course, a couple other guys coming in front of him. So ends up finishing tied fourth behind Aaron Ray, the English player. But Lucas is um, really showing something at the moment and that, that was absolutely outstanding by him. 
It was. I think it's even more remarkable, which is um, the way that it came about, that he, he, he hit the front after 36 holes, then got the worst of... I wish we had John Huggett on today, Blakey, because we could really talk to him about that Scottish weather, but he hit the worst <laughs> of that Scottish weather uh, on the Saturday, their third round. Um, I did have a chance to text back and forth with Lucas a little bit uh, on, on Monday. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. And he told me that was the worst conditions he'd ever played in on the Saturday. Uh, and he ended up shooting a 79. Now, you just don't win tournaments shooting a 79. So regardless of his other three good rounds, um, that's a number that normally just you know puts you out of contention. To come back um, on the Sunday mentally, I think, showed a really good spirit about where he's up to. Um, and, you know, all these records were lining up. You know, the biggest score on tour with a, uh, in a tournament to have won, that he'd be the first person who've ever won twice in a season if he won from six shots behind twice in, in, the, in the same year. Um, all these things were lining up. And for a split second, he looked like he could lead or be very close to the lead in the race to Dubai. Um, it, was all, it was all happening for Lucas on that Sunday. And then he told me that, on the Saturday, he had four layers of clothing on Blakey, under, like below the belt. He had a pair of jocks, a pair of those skins, the tights, uh, track, track suit pants, and then his wet weather gear over the top. He and his caddy went through three towels that were completely unusable by the 12th. It was that wet. And then walking to the 13th tee, his caddy fell and fell on the umbrella and snapped it. So he's now oh, no towels, no umbrella. And by the time he got to the clubhouse... Uh, and had a shower to try and thaw out a little bit. He peeled off his four layers, and even his jocks were wet, the inside of four layers. That's how wet it was in Scotland on Saturday. So I, I just think that's a funny story. And, he, you know, for him to say it's the worst conditions he's ever played in, having played through Melbourne winters uh, and some cold conditions in Bendigo and Central Victoria, that's a huge achievement. Well played. Huggy, of course, will say that was just a standard uh, Scottish day there in North Berwick. But... Uh, <laughs> 24 years of age, Lucas Herbert. We do, Andy often uses the uh, the hashtag, you know, golden era. Um, he's now number 67 in the world, Hazy. If he can, you know, he, if he had have won that tournament, he would have jumped into the top 50, uh, which has implications for starts in majors. So he's played a couple of majors this year already. I mean, he's he's right on the verge of something really big, isn't he? You know, and, and let's not forget he did win, an, win a European event in in uh, Dubai earlier this year. So he's going to be right up the top of the qualifiers for the Tour Championship on the European Tour, which I think is in December, and we're talking really big money there. So it's been a breakout year for Lucas, and it's great to see it happen because he's a, a great friend of the show, isn't he? He is. Um, and another great friend of the show across the other side of the Atlantic on the other primary tour in the world, Really shone as well, again, without going on to get the victory. But Cam Davis, Blakey, um, he's starting to, to me, look like he's feeling at home. Hasn't figured out how to get across the line. And there were some remarkable turns of events in the uh, PGA Tours event at Sanderson Farms there as well. But Cam Davis was in the last group and leading after the 54 holes as well. What a week it was for, for Cam Davis. Of course, the 2017 Australian Open champion is just a tall, rangy player who I, I really... I think he could do anything, Cam Davis. And um, this was a great experience for him. He played in the last group with the great Sergio Garcia and watched Sergio uh, shoot the lights out to win it. Um, so he'd be disappointed, Cameron, that he didn't play 
a little better on the last day. Shot 63 on Saturday, as you mentioned, 72 in the final round, which included a couple of birdies late. So he really, he, he kind of dropped out of contention and ended up having to sort of, I think I think I wrote, he had to sort of doff his hat to, to Sergio, hit, who hit two incredible shots in the final round, including a, you know, a nine iron to about two foot on the last hole to win it. First win by Sergio in America since he won the Masters in 2017. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a great performance by Cam Davis, tied sixth. Uh, as you said, his curve is going up and he's going to win something soon, I think. Yeah, he seems to be more comfortable coming from behind in a chasing scenarios at the moment. But having been heavily involved in one of the, um, the earlier FedEx Cup playoff events in the same sort of capacity, I think he's going to learn from this sooner than later. Um, but I just wanted to mention, Blakey, I've got to, I've got to give myself an uppercut here. Like we often go out hard, and sometimes if I say the <laughs> you wrong potted thing, Sergio, to, didn't you? Yeah, I've got to stand on it and own it, and really apologise to Sergio, who not seven days ago in this very spot I said might have run his race in terms of being competitive on the PGA Tour. But I mean, a great win generally. But have you seen a better shot? knowing that you need a birdie on an 18th hole to close out a tournament, and his reaction was unbelievable. Yeah, 9-iron to two feet. And earlier in the final round, he'd hit a, he hit a, a, fairwood, a fairway wood on, a, on the par 5, 14th to about two, feet, two or three feet as well for, and made an eagle. So he actually looked like he was going to be out of it at that point, makes the eagle, gets himself back into it, and then coming up the last, needed a birdie to win outright, otherwise it was going to be a playoff and uh, got, the, got the business done. It just, I think a few people have said uh, since then, it kind of reminded us how good he is, really. Yeah, it does. You've sort of forgotten. Despite you potting him. Yeah, well, he's overcome that massive hurdle of, you know, me potting him. So well done, Sergio. Well played. He's always a fan favourite. Never hasn't been. I just thought he'd run his race, but clearly he hasn't. And I'm just as big an idiot in 2020 with my predictions as I was in 2019 when Tiger couldn't win the Masters either. So I'm going beautifully on that front. Blakey, I did want to talk about while we were, we might skip over the LPGA and refer to that in the uh, segment when we talk about the PGA Championship this week, but the two secondary tours in the United States, one was Brett Coletta being incredibly prominent uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour and the other was Robin Choi on the Symmetra Tour. Did you have any thoughts on either of those? Yeah, well, Robin Choi uh, has been chipping away, hasn't she? And she she actually led through or was tied for the lead through uh, three uh, three rounds or two rounds. But uh, uh, she's really showing some good signs after playing on the main tour last year and losing her playing rights. Uh, you know, it was a bit of a struggle for her then, but she's really, you know, she's cut, hit back hard, which is exactly what you want to see. And Brett Coletto, um, you know, is a, another friend of the show, been on the show a few times and, Four rounds in the 60s. That's just exactly what what you want to see. He's he's a little bit down in the in the rankings. Hasn't been maybe playing that great. I don't think has he has he. But he you know certainly this is a good sign in the Savannah yeah, Golf he, Championship. He was red hot about two months ago and then just tailed off for a few weeks. But um, yeah, he's he you know look he's uh, put himself in in the mental position again to be able to challenge again soon. And I just with these guys, I really think that it's a when and we see with um, Brett Druitt, who was again prominent on that Corn Ferry Tour, Blakey, that subsequent to getting the job done, he's he found himself in contention week after week after week. And I think that once we get the likes of Cam Davis and Brett Coletta and Robin Choi in a position where they're aware 
that their best is actually good enough like, and the full firm belief in that matter as we now see with Lucas Herbert in Europe that they can really go on with the job I think they're learning they're teaching each other these things as we go along which I think is also really cool big question marks on how you come out and close I think Robin Choi will be really dirty on herself that she didn't take the opportunity in what turned out to be the third and final round uh, having shot a 63, but to shoot the 63 shows you can do it. So, um, look, great effort. And just to look, there we are. We've talked for you know the best part of 10 minutes about men and women, and we still haven't touched on the LPGA tour yet. Uh, on both sides of the Atlantic, where where Aussies are just going supremely well, Blakey. It's it's on top of what was a really encouraging pre-COVID start with a few wins on the PGA Tour and around the men's side of things in particular. It's been an unbelievable 2020. Yeah, I, I think we're really well placed in terms of young players. Again, Brett Coletta, 24 years of age. I mean, uh, there's a lot of them and they're pushing each other. That's the thing. And uh, I'll just flag that Hannah Green and Minji Lee will speak to us a little bit later about exactly that, the way that they drive and inspire each other. Yeah, great. That's awesome. So that is coming up in the show. We'll run an eye over the P- Women's PGA Championship in Aronimink in Pennsylvania. Uh, but coming up after the break, we've got a very special guest, another returning superstar to Inside the Ropes. Jeff Ogilvie is going to join us along with Karen Lunn and Nick, Dasky, Nick Dasty from the PGA to talk the Players Series. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes and through, well, just technological marvel that we've managed to get five voices into this next segment. We'll see how that all pans out. I'd like to pay a very warm welcome to Nick Dasty of the PGA, Karen Lunn, a regular visitor from the ALPG and the unmistakable voice of Jeff Ogilvy joining us. Nick, if you don't mind to tell us about some really stunning, great news around the, around the PGA and ALPG's Players Series upcoming. Yeah, thanks, Hazy. Thanks, uh, thanks for having us on today. Um, yeah, we've recently, over the last couple of weeks, announced a couple of new exciting tournaments, um, which are the Players Series. So the Players Series is a, a joint initiative between the PGA of Australia and the ALPG. Um, and the two events um, will be held, one on January 28th to 31st at Rosebud Country Club, and that'll be the Players Series Victoria. And be hosted by the great man on the call with us, Jeff Ogilvie, which is uh, fantastic to, to have Jeff on board for that event. Uh, and we'll also be running a second one, which will be at the start of March, the 4th to the 7th of March, which will be the Players Series Sydney, and it'll uniquely be hosted by Braith and Astor um, at Bonnie Doon Country Club. So for those that would know that Braith is a rugby rugby league legend, but uh, also a, a scratch golfer, um, has a management company, Siru Sports, and heavily involved in golf and uh, and wanted to get involved. So it's uh, it's great to have the two new events. Now, those listening to Inside the Ropes regularly will know that you, you uh, came on a few weeks ago and told us about the Players Series, hopefully developing into something very big over the next couple of years. These are the first two of, I, I don't know how many you're intending to run in the summer of 2021? Uh, so for the summer of 2021, it'll be these two events. Um, the idea is that within the next five years, we, we hope to grow the Players Series to you know have somewhere around that eight to ten events um, across the season. So each of the events will form part of the PGA Tour of Australasia and also 
uh, form part of the ALPG tour. Um, so uh, money won on, on each. Uh, if you're a male and you win money, it'll count towards the, the um, PGA Tour of Australasia, and, and same goes for, for any females that win money on each of these events. We'll, uh, we'll count towards the ALPG Tour money list. So um, they're, they're split fields, so 67 players from, from each tour, um, five elite males, five elite amateur females, um, also joining the pros. Uh, and it gets a little bit unique on the weekend where we have uh, the 50 and tied pros make the cut, but we also have a 36-hole junior event um, being played over the Saturday-Sunday. So each of those juniors, there'll be one junior in each of the groups with two pros. Um, and it's just a, a great opportunity and great pathway for those juniors coming through and the elite amateurs to be able to play alongside the pros in, in these events. Um, before well, let uh, Blakey loose with Jeff, um, Karen, I, I really wanted to ask you, just like on the men's tour, this is going to be a boon for the women's uh, circuit given that, um, you know, just this the problems of putting t- tournaments on this year. It's going to be really important, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's absolutely crucial. And um, and again, thanks for having us on, Hazy. Um, yeah, obviously, there's so many things up in the air with regards to our schedule for next year. Um, you know, we're not in the same position as the PGA. We don't have as many female professionals um, as the PGA does. Um, so for us to put on an event, a full field event, um, early next year would be really tough with the international borders being closed. So for us to actually have uh, playing opportunities for our members is really crucial. And, and um, you know, we're, we're just so excited about these events. Karen, it's Blakey. Um, how do you how do they set up a course when both male and females are playing uh, in the same competition? Because we we see this a bit at the Vic Open, where it, it can be quite difficult. But how do they set up? Where are the tees and that kind of thing? Yeah, well, I think that um, I think that there's, there was a lot of. Um a lot of data from the um, the, the Jordan event in um, 2019, which was the the uh, Challenge Tour, uh, the PGA, uh, sorry, the European Tour, Stacial Tour, and the Ladies European Tour. So you had the three tours uh, all playing together for the same prize money, and obviously that was a challenge getting uh, you know the seniors, the, the the male professionals, and the women professionals try and work out the course setup for that. But they did it on um, a very scientific. Um, uh, way they did it in a very scientific way, and uh, they they pretty much got it right. I mean, in in the final group, there was a a, a female pro, a male pro, and, and one of the seniors. So, um, this, this, as as more and more of these events happen, there's going to be more and more data out there. And uh, again, you know, we talk about you know golf courses and the length of courses, especially for the guys. Um, you know, there's only a certain length that they can play, and obviously, you know, the, the women. There's enough data out there to know, you know, where we need to go with the women's tees. And while it's a challenge, I think that you know, there's enough there's enough information out there, and we do have a bit of experience with it because, and even though um, they're two separate events, um, we do try and set the courses up so we, we can sort of get some similar scoring going on there. So, yeah, it's a challenge, and it's something that that's a work in progress. But I'm really confident that, that with all of the knowledge and data out there, we can get it right next year. I must say, it's great to see the um, the various golf bodies cooperating a bit. We always talk about golf being so fragmented, but, but that's been great. Uh, Jeff, I just wanted to ask you if the hosts allowed to win the event. Uh, well, I, hope, I haven't played golf all year, so I hope I can still get the ball in the air, actually, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> Have you got a net? Hopefully, I will be try- hopefully I'll be um, playing half-decent golf. I've got a net. The net's getting a little boring, but... Um, it's been nice to hit a few in this lockdown, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited uh, 
to just play a few golf tournaments to have everyone to have a chance to have a, just to play a few golf tournaments. You know, it's um, it's going to be few and far. It's been a little bit few and far between, really, in Australia, just generally. Um, over the last twenty years, we've kind of, unfortunately, through all sorts of weird circumstances that probably have nothing to do with any individual situation, just a collection of things that we've got less tournaments, and this is kind of Nick and along with Kim Felton and. Uh, Everyone has come up with this great idea to kind of try to build it up again, you know. And this is build it up in a uh, in a format that's really exciting and fresh, you know, giving everyone a chance. Um, and to get the good players next to each other again, so and playing against each other more often. So it's going to be nice, yeah, to get down there and play. Rosebud's a uh, what a player, so. Great choices of venues. Bonnie Doon's also an awesome track, and you you had an involvement in that as well through your uh, uh, design company. Um, uh, what do you make of? I know that you, Jeff, you're a, you're a great fan of the Vic Open concept with the men and women uh, intermingling and having alternating groups and stuff like that, and obviously the two events in one. Um, yeah, what did you think when you you heard about this? You, you you're you're generally a believer in trying some different stuff, aren't you? Well, I think. Um, golf suffers. Golf's a, obviously a, a tremendous sport, and it's a it's a great vehicle for an event, whether it be a high event, elite event, or just a corporate golf day. It's just a great vehicle, golf, and professional golf, and to be fair, high level amateur golf had kind of, it's very conservative and was kind of stuck driving down the same pathway forever. And there's no need for that. There's other sports and other things have shown more interesting ways and changed things up and. Um, the Vic Open, I, w- I have to be honest, I was probably a little sceptical when I heard the Vic Open concept, um, and everyone told me it was good the first couple of times, but it wasn't until I played it I realised this is so much better. This is such a good way to do this, and it's clearly not for every week and every tournament, but there's absolutely no reason why it shouldn't happen more often. It's a more interesting product. There's more to see. Um, I became an LPGA fan, a, 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 just a women's golf fan, after more, after playing the tournament, and each time I've played it, I've liked it more. So I just, I think, um, for the there's been there's a gap in the kind of areas where that kind of young elite golfer in Australia, male or female, can have enough competition. Um, it's great as an amateur, but as soon as you turn pro, you kind of go out into this. We've got to try to get on some big world tour or sit around and twiddle your thumbs all year. Um, and it's the same for the elite amateurs. They get to a point where the elite amateurs, there's not enough of them to test them. Their level's gone above most of the amateurs around, so they need to step it up and play against the pros. And, and there's never been enough events for the girls um, in Australia ever. And that's just economics and lack of girls playing maybe at that level. But the more the Vic Open, the more this stuff comes along, and the more people are going to play. This is, I think, I really think this could be the beginning of something really exciting. Um, it's just a more interesting format, and the and the kids get to play too. It's like, why wouldn't we get everything we can to a golf event at one time? Why should it just be sixty guys making a check, playing seventy-two hole stroke play, and having a couple of one interesting story in the last hour of the tournament? You know. There's more than that. I'm shallowing it down, but there's obviously more than that in a 72-hole tournament. But why not add more to that if you can? Um, and more opportunity and more kind of sort of scope to enhance the whole thing. So, yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, 
juniors, girls, guys, same place. You know, opportunity for the best of the best of Australian golf, whatever wherever they're at, get to play with each other and against each other. Um, I don't see how it fails. I'd love to get in a debate with you one day, Jeff, but I find myself in violent agreement with just about everything you say, so I, I, I wholeheartedly concur. Um, Karen, that must be music to your ears as well, I would imagine. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, Jeff made some great points there. And, and certainly those those elite amateurs and, and the kids that are just turning pro, that's what they need. They need the experience of playing against the pros. And if you look at our tour, um, the last few years, you've had Steph Kiriakou winning um, a pro event. You've had uh, the guys winning um, pro events. And, and if you talk to our leading players now, your Hannah Greens, your Minji Lees and, and Sue O's on the women's side, and I'm sure the boys would say the same, that the, the experience that they get from playing alongside the pros um, is just so important for them when they actually go on and turn pro. They're, they're not completely thrown into a different environment. They're, they're more comfortable than they would be. And, and I've spoke to Hannah about this at length and I know she's spoken publicly about it as well. That, um, you know, the experiences she got playing on the ALPG Tour as an amateur um, just set her up beautifully for, for the transition to pro golf. And if we can provide more um, elite amateurs and our young pros um, these opportunities, it, it certainly gives them a, a, a much better opportunity to, to go on and be successful. Jeff, uh, before we let you people go, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what you thought about Winged Foot, the scene of your great triumph, and uh, or your greatest triumph, and the the win of Bryson DeChambeau and all the debate that's happened around uh, the way that he plays and the way that the ball flies afterwards. I know you've spoken a lot about the ball before, but uh, has that sharpened your focus a little? Um, It's... Well, it's, it's interesting. It kind of changed my perspective on it a little bit. Um, and I, I mean, I'm a massive Bryson fan in that anyone who puts the effort and time and thought into it, he does, and it actually works. I mean, there's a lot of people who have tried to kind of done it his style, you know, scientifically breaking it down, golf machine kind of people. And they're all camped at some range somewhere. We've never heard their name, you know. They're all kind of crazy people. Even Mac O'Grady kind of got the closest in that headspace, and he won a couple of tournaments, but he never did what Bryson's doing. The fact that he's done that and he's playing well, you have to have your hat off to it. Um, but it was a very big exposure of, are we setting up golf Is this the best way? Do we set up golf courses? And if, if that's the best way to have a good score at Wingfoot, I don't really like that aspect of it, you know. Just drive it as far as you can. If it goes in the rough, that's fine. I'll just hit it under the green with my wedge. I don't. If that's the way golf goes, I think that's the message. I don't think it's. I don't blame the technology on this. He's just everyone's just maximising what they've got. I blame the setups. I think you shouldn't be able to get away with that style. I think um, at Royal Melbourne or Woodlands or something like that, Bryson would have to play a completely different game, and he would evolve into a different golfer. You know, because position is a bit more important when you don't have the long raft and stuff, so and a bit of firmness. So I thought it was interesting on a lot of um, fronts, actually. But yeah, I'm a Bryson fan. I mean, anyone who can think that much about golf and not be completely crazy when they play it is is amazing. <laughs> but the stylies, the stylies playing, if that's the best way in the future, um, I think the longer if they react with longer courses and narrower courses and longer rough, I think people will be will do it more. You know, and I think if they creatively think about how they set up courses to make it more important to be in a good position on short grass than it is to be in a long position in long grass, then 
I think Bryson would evolve into that golfer, you know. So I think um, there's a lot of lessons out of it, but it was it was very interesting to watch. Did you think yeah, it's interesting that at Royal Melbourne at the Presidents Cup, uh, three four under was three or four under was a pretty good score that week, wasn't it? From memory, and we had all the all the big hitters there, including DeChambeau. So that that course just stood up superbly, didn't it? Because it was set up properly. Well, look, I mean, it's it's a simple formula that people, I think, I missed it too, but it's there and it's very obvious. If the golf, the longer you make it, the longer people are going to want to hit it and the longer they're going to try to hit it. But if Royal Melbourne, it's not long enough anymore, but it doesn't matter. The right position is still the right position. And yeah, they're coming in with a 9-9 when it used to be a 6-9 and all that, and people can fight about that, but whatever, things evolve. Um, the right position on six west is still the right position on six west. You know, what I mean, you're never going to be. He's never going to hit driver there. He's just going to drive it through the fairway and just make a ten. So, I think creative, like great greens and great courses, will stand up um, to scrutiny set up well. You know, because Tiger stood out as the best player at the Presidents Cup by a long way, and that was with experience and and plotting it round and hitting the smart shots below the hole and and being a sensible golfer and only aggressive where the course sort of let you be aggressive. Um, and that's a more beautiful game to watch, I think, than the style Bryson played at Wingfoot. But that doesn't mean I don't think what Bryson did is unbelievably amazing, and I'm impressed. So uh, this is creative setup. If you played Woodlands every week, everyone here knows Woodlands. If you played Woodlands every week, I pick on Woodlands, the best golfer in the world wouldn't play like that. They'd play differently. You know, They'd play like more like Peter Thompson did or something. You know, they'd plotted around and they'd play a modern version of, you know, position golf rather than distance golf. So I think we've just got to look at the, the setups we present and um, let the setups and the, and the courses we present people will, will evolve professional golf and elite golf and then the rest of golf follows that style, that direction. I think you can... Uh, beautiful golf gets played around beautiful golf courses. Yeah, and Wingfoot's a beautiful golf course, but they restrict the setup a lot. So you might as well just try to hit it as far as you can because it's very narrow with long rough. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's fun in the world now. I, uh, I think it's um, the top level of golf has never been as deep and as good as it is now. So it's fun to watch. We need some Aussies up there in the mix. Yeah. Here, here. I think they're coming, Jeff, so that's a good sign. Now, now Nick, um, talk to us about the, the two player series events one more time. The Players Series Victoria, hosted by Jeff Ogilvy at uh, the beautiful Rosebud Country Club from January 28 to 31. And then the New South Wales version um, with Braitha Nasta at Bonnie Doon in early March. What can people do to get involved? What would you like to see happen? Is there a message you'd like to pass on to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, as Jeff and, and Karen and, and we've all spoken about, this is a great opportunity for, you know, for our juniors of the game, for our elite amateurs and for our young and up-and-coming professionals, along with some of the older professionals, no offence, Jeff, um, to, <laughs> to get out and, and play and compete all in the one place. Um, you know, there's there's so many um, great players in our country and, and this is all about giving them more opportunities to fulfil, you know, their, their ability um, to provide that pathway, more opportunities for them to, to hopefully become world stage players and, and get onto one of those big tours around the world. There's great opportunities for, for people to get involved. You know, obviously with any event of this level where we're looking for corporate support, um, there'll be great 
great opportunities for any any corporates that want to get involved and and sponsor any of these events. Um, they really will be getting involved with with grassroots uh, elite golf as well as the professionals. Um, so. If anyone anyone out there does want to get involved and, and wants to learn a little bit more about uh, each of these events, they can certainly contact myself uh, at the PGA. Um, they can also contact Karen, and, and we'll be more than happy to to have a discussion around that. But um, you know, like you said, Hazy, two wonderful golf courses as well. Um, if it's as simple as coming out and watching these these great young players, they'll they'll have a great time uh, watching some fantastic golf on on two of two of the country's top golf courses. Now, Nick, uh, Blakey and I were, you know, maybe a tad unlucky. You were a little bit more so, but of the three people who are guests on this phone call right now, two of them are in the uh, Golf Digest top 50 list of all-time Australian golfers. I noticed you missed out. Are you a bit dark on that? Uh, look, hey, I probably made the top 50 um, from Moe from where I grew up, but um, I, don't think I, I don't think I was ever really a chance of making that top 50 with, uh, with Jeff and Karen. Karen, you must have been, I don't know if you saw it or not, but number 33 in the list of Australian Gold Digest greatest ever players in Australia. How did that feel? Yeah, I wasn't aware of that, actually. No, obviously it's an honour. And, um, yeah, there's been some great Australian golfers and to be considered as, as one of the top 50, that's, um, that's wonderful. That's a great honour. Which leaves you, Jeff, number 14. Can you believe that they didn't, couldn't sneak you into the top 10? Oh, give me a break. Like, I don't know. Does it matter? Um, who, how did it end up? I didn't know anyone would study the list. Who, who won? Or who? Um, let me, number one. Yeah, I'll, Scotty? I'll go through the, the top few for you. Uh, Greg. Top three was, top three was Thompson three, Kari two, and Shark number one. Kari. I don't know. Look, it's so subjective. It's like they're all three legends, right? I mean, what they yeah, fair enough. Fair play. After that, it's all fun. Um, no, nah, fourteen's fair enough. I mean, I oh, look. I was a good player in big tournaments, but I didn't. I mean, there's definitely some players who've done a bit more than I did. It's fun those things, though. They are good fun. I tell you, you're in some good company. You're around, you're around Joe Kirkwood, Steve Elkington, Bruce Crampton, Graham Marsh, Bruce Devlin, Ian Baker Finch. They're all in that sort of 10 to 20 category. So I think that's pretty pretty good company to keep, isn't it? That sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> as does the Players Series. Uh, Karen and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us to, to tell us all about it. We, we, we stand ready to help the, the PGA and ALPG uh, with whatever we can do to promote it. And we're grateful, Jeff, that you put your name to it. And we, we'll probably try and talk to, to Braith himself a little bit down the track, Nick, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks very much for having us on. Cheers, guys. Thanks, one and all. Thanks for having us on, guys. Thank you. That's Jeff Ogilvie, Karen Lund, Nick Dasty. Blakey, we'll take a quick break and we're going to come back and chat all things about the Women's PGA Championship on the LPGA Tour this week. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Uh, look, there was a technical marvel that we could have so many people on the line using the system we currently are, Blakey, in that interview. But how good to not only have Nick Dasty and Karen Lunn on uh, as they've been semi-regular in the last couple of months, but Jeff Ogilvie's thoughts are always uh, extraordinary, aren't they? He is. He's, uh, well, we always say the best interview in golf. If he's not the best, he's in the final. So... Yeah, I've spoken to him a lot over the years, and I know you have too, about 
the technology and course setup and that, but he's always so thoughtful and rational and everything we're not, Hazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very good point. I, I, in his response to your question there, I was actually really intrigued that he just said, look, there's so much going on about the ball and this and ball that and club distance that. He goes, it's all, everyone's got an opinion, but it's boring in a sense, the conversation, which I tend to agree with. Um, but he said the course setup is, you know, where it needs to be, um, you know, easily altered and the mindset around that. I, I thought that was fascinating too. And the comparison with Royal Melbourne as opposed to what they, what they did at winged foot. Uh, and, and also the, the acknowledgements, which, which I really believe in, uh, that what DeChambeau's doing and what he did at winged foot is, takes a lot of guts, you know, and it's, you can't, you can't deny him what he, you know, you can't take it away from him. Uh, there's a separate issue of the way that the ball flies and what it's going to do to the old courses everywhere in the world. Um, but it's not his fault that Correct. he's right. able to take advantage of it. He's, and he's got to be very good. I always remember, Hazy, you interviewing DeChambeau when he came to play the Australian Open. He may have even been an amateur, I think, yeah, at the Australian. Um, and I remember you coming back and being really excited um, about talking to him because he's, he is interesting, isn't he? You know, he, he's, he's got us talking. He certainly has, and I, you know, you, your sentiment there echoes Jeff's and echoed mine and Andy's a couple of weeks ago. It's we shouldn't shoot the messenger here in changing golf. It's the it's the people around it who make decisions about how it should be played that's uh, affecting the game. Anyway, um, great to have all three of those guys on, um, Karen and Nick and Jeff. So thank you to them all, Blakey. We promised earlier um, a big special look at the. KPMG Women's PGA Championship, the uh, third major this year as it's panned out on the LPGA Tour. Uh, we're heading to the famous Aronimink Golf Club in uh, beautiful Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love um, in Pennsylvania on the east coast of the United States. I had a good chance to chat to Christina Lance, a regular on this podcast um, yesterday in preparation for this and she told me the course was in arguably better shape than it would be in the middle of summer because it just had the edge taken off it from the heat perspective. So um, from what we know of Aronimink, it's going to be a great week. And, and I know that you've been uh, busily compiling some great information here about the Australians and their chances. Yeah, well, I know that it's the first time Aronimink uh, has hosted a women's major. They've hosted a, a number of at least one men's major that I know of, the PGA, and they've had U.S. amateurs, that kind of thing. It's one of the classic old American courses, but um, it, it may play quite tough for the women. Just listening to some of the press conferences overnight, Hannah Green said that she was hitting some long irons into the par fours and even a rescue club or two. So if the greens are going to be firm, I'm not sure that they will be, but if, if they do get a bit firm, uh, that's, that's going to be difficult. But I, I think it's... A great week, and what a week for, for Hannah Green in particular, Hazy, to defend. She has defended a title before. She defended in Portland a few weeks ago just because of the COVID break, uh, which is probably helpful to her in actual fact because a lot of the players, when they defend a tournament, they, they have to do a lot of media, and it can be a little bit of a, a distraction week, I think. So uh, for Hannah, she's had one crack at it already, and she comes back as the 
third Australian woman to win a major. Uh, she comes back to defend this week. She was saying today, Hazy, that it's going to be a very different week to last year. Uh, you'll recall last year, and we've spoken a lot about this on the program, and, and we've spoken to Hannah about it as well. There were seven Australians in a house last year at Hazeltine. Uh, Kari Webb was in the house. Sue O was in the house, who travels with Hannah most of the time. I think Jared Felton was probably there, Hannah's boyfriend. I'm pretty sure he was there, wasn't he? And uh, the Kari Webb scholarship holders um, were, were there. I think uh, Becky Kay and Grace Kim. So they were all out on the green afterwards. There'll be none of that this week. There's no crowd this week. So it's going to be a, a different look. But uh, Hannah Green is there. There are six Australians in the field. Hazy, Minji Lee, the world number six, would be the other one that uh, you would have really high hopes for. But Catherine Kirk, the veteran, is also having a pretty solid year, which you mentioned in in copy this week. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good, strong field. Sarah Kemp's in there as well, Sarah Jane Smith. So uh, Hannah Green, uh, Perth's own Hannah Green, uh, did a press conference overnight, Hazy. And I just wanted to uh, let you have a listen to Hannah talking about uh, what it's like to come back and what she's learnt since last year. What's the biggest thing you learned about yourself in winning your first major last year? I think just the mental toughness. Um, I didn't really think I was capable to go wire to wire in an event and let alone a major championship. Um, and just hanging in there and even though I was kind of crashing a little bit on the back nine, um, at the start of the back nine in the last round, you know, I, I was trying to give myself as much positive um, you know, thoughts as possible and worked really well with my caddy to make sure that I Knew that I was still in it. That was Hannah Green on her 2019 uh, Hazeltine Triumph. What a what a week that was, Hazy, and what a what an up and down on that last hole. I'll, I'll never forget it. <laughs> One of the all time great up and downs from that uh, that front sand. Uh, she could do that a lot of times and not get that job done. So uh, to do it in such a under the gun situation is unbelievable. It will always that imagery sit along with the great achievements in Australian golf. One of the things we've spoken a bit about recently, Hazy, is um, inspiration and the way that our young players in Australia are pushing each other. And uh, I'm glad that we did that because there's a nice segue here because Hannah also spoke today in Philadelphia about that particular issue and the way that, uh, you know, Steph Kiriakou is probably the player that's jumped up this year. I know that she's a favourite of yours from New South Wales. Um, she is playing on the Ladies European Tour and doing doing brilliantly. And, the, and uh, you know, a lot of it comes from, you know, playing a bit of golf with a Hannah or a Minji Lee uh, early in their career as amateurs. And uh, there there is a passing on of information, isn't there? Absolutely. And we heard how important Jeff Ogilvie and, and Karen Lund thought that was going to be in the Players Series a little earlier on. And there's definitely, Blakey, a, a stream uh, of, of talent coming through. And I, I love that Catherine Kirk's there to sort of almost oversee it in a way from a you know very biased Australian perspective. There's, if you take her out, the next wave, five or six players, all under 24, all looking really promising. And, and another wave, you know, coming up below them. Um, I think later on we'll talk about a couple of um, good amateur achievements in South Australia, for example. So, um, you know, it's a real wave coming through in the in the women's game in Australia. With Gabby Russell, Ruffles, of course, uh, winning the US Amateur last year as well. And she's 
already shown this year in a couple of starts in majors and in LPGA events that she's very competitive, even though she hasn't even turned pro yet. Let's have a listen to Hannah Green uh, talking about being a role model and inspiring other Australian players and her love of uh, Australia generally. I won't be back home till maybe after Christmas, which is probably the longest I've ever been away from home. So I'm hoping that I could have a win in the next few events and just book my ticket back. <laughs> Being home in Australia really does mean so much to you. You get so much support uh, from, uh, from Australia, from your home. What does it mean to you to have that support from afar for you? Oh, yeah, it's huge. Mum and Dad are definitely my biggest fans, even my boyfriend and pretty much all my friends and family. They, they definitely always send me messages of good luck, and I've had a few more than probably normal for this week. Everyone knows it's a big week for me, but, um, yeah, I'm such a homebody, so that's probably going to be the biggest struggle of the year. So, yeah, hopefully I can get home earlier than Christmas. And it's, speaking of Australia... There's a great core group of, of you out here on tour, yourself, Minji, who was here before you, Sue, Catherine, um, and also Gabby Russell, Steph Kiriakou coming up on the pro side, mm-hmm. Becky and Grace. Mm-hmm. I know I, what, Becky, is it Becky who turned pro or Grace turned pro? Yeah, One Becky. of them turned pro. <laughs> yeah. What does that speak to the Golf Australia program and, and where you've come up that has, to use the hashtag, inspired the greatness coming out of Australia? Yeah, it's been huge. Um, I think we're really fortunate to have Golf Australia in general. Um, Obviously, it's a little bit different here in the U.S. It is so populated and there's so many golfers, but we are fortunate enough that we can get, you know, I guess some financial help um, from a young age. And it definitely made a huge difference to when I was making the transition from amateur to professional golf. Um, They don't just let you go as soon as you're finished as an amateur. They still have a program for us when we we turn professional. So that helped me when I was out in semester. And um, so far, I've stayed on LPGA, so it's been really nice. But, yeah, to see Steph doing so well over in Europe, she's had a little bit of a change in her schedule, uh, she would say, um, staying over there. So she's had some great results. So it's really nice to see. And, yeah, it's nice that we have a few of us out here to, I guess, see when we do get homesick and hang out with yeah, she uh, she can get homesick, Hannah Hazy. It's been a uh, something she's talked about a lot. Um, it was funny she, as she mentioned there, she came straight home last year when she won that major, which was kind of a bit unexpected, I guess, but but nice. And she's been home a lot this year because of COVID. But uh, um, she did say there that if she wins this week, she might even just jump on a plane and come home again. <laughs> Um, well, let's she, hope that's the case, obviously. She's very I, grounded, isn't she? Oh, she's one of the most grounded people you'll ever meet, let alone athletes. And um, for someone who's travelled so much through her amateur and early professional career, it's amazing to think that if she could stay home in Perth for the rest of her life, she'd be happy. <laughs> it's just, I'm not saying she doesn't want to go and continue those adventures and travels and things, but... She's very much at home in Perth and the great lifestyle of WA. So it'd be no surprise to see her spend a lot more time there in years to come. So this, we have to be careful how we say this, but when Hannah Green won at Hazeltine last year, she wasn't the West Australian player that we were expecting to win a major, to be perfectly honest, was she? It was no, true. It was supposed to be Minji Lee. We, we, you know, Minji had been on a higher level to Hannah for the year or two or three prior to that. So... That was a bit of a surprise, but Minji Lee is still only, uh, I think, 24 years of age. So I'm interested to see how she goes this week, having finished top three in the British Open, Women's British Open, Hazy. What do you think? 
Uh, I just think it's a matter of time. Blakey, uh, she's already shown that she can get over the line in a regulation LPGA Tour event at you know, any given week. Um, she's just put a name in the in the ring so many times here without uh, getting over that major championship line. I do think that, um, you know, we've heard Tiger even talk about just being there on the Sunday and Jack Nicholas before him, just being there on the Sunday and, and staying in the mix until nine holes to go and then seeing what happens and roll the dice. And I think Minji's, if, if you could pick one player, uh, national bias as a side, that you had to bet on to be around the mark on the Sunday at no, after nine holes, it's her. I honestly think she's the most consistent player on the LPGA Tour and, and I, I wouldn't surprise. It would surprise me if she wasn't in that mix again come come when the whips were cracking this, this weekend. I don't think there's any doubt she's the best player in the world who hasn't won a major. Uh, The best female player in the world who hasn't won a major. It's a missing point of her curriculum vitae. And let's have a listen to Minji Lee overnight in Philadelphia talking about that very point, why she hasn't quite got over the line in a major. And she'll also speak a little bit about being a role model for other Australian players. Major championships specifically ever really crossed your mind? Is that one of your goals? I mean, it's been a really big goal of mine for the last couple of years. Um, I've really tried to try to peak in those events, but I feel like maybe I get in my own way a little bit. Um, but I, I feel like I'm I'm getting better, um, getting a little bit better results um, when I come to majors. So hopefully this week I don't I get out of my own way and just play some golf. <laughs> And there's actually a fair amount of, of strong Aussie players on tour, yourself and, and Sue and Catherine and Hannah certainly is coming up right after you. And we're going to see a number of, of Aussies coming up. Steph Kiriakou, who won on the LET to get her card, mm-hmm. and, and, and Gabby Ruffles, who's been out with us a lot. What does that mean to you to see so many Australian players playing well? I mean, we, we here we have our, our, our line, Inspire Greatness. We're seeing a lot of greatness coming out of Australia right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually played with Stefan, um, Gabby, maybe British Open practice round. So, yeah, it was nice to see. I've never played with them before, so it was nice. Um, I, it just comes to show that, like, our program in Australia is in a really strong place. And um, just with the girls and all the talent that's coming up, I, I just think everybody's working extra hard and um, they're just coming stronger and younger, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess if I could be an example to them or a role model, that would be um, really great for me. And um, obviously I'm going to help them as much as I can um, if they need it. Yeah, she's a beauty, Hazy. Uh, we've been watching her for a long time and uh, I, I still, in some ways, I can't believe she doesn't hasn't won a major yet, uh, but it's going to happen, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think, you know, these things... Uh, a lot of really good players have never won a major. Let's not forget that. But if there's ever a matter of time for a, an Australian golfer, you'd think it's with Minji Lee. So fingers crossed we're not talking about her with that list of best players not to have won a major for much longer because it's a shame that that's, the, as you say, the only missing aspect of her CV is a major championship. And um, she's it would be fitting if she uh, won one and pushed her right towards the top of the world rankings. Um, that would be a, a great result after a tumultuous year. And I, as you mentioned earlier, Blakey, I really don't think we should discount Catherine Kirk, another top 10 finisher, third in succession, including a major at the ANA uh, on the LPGA Tour. She's in a rich vein of form. Um, you spoke to her a few weeks ago, which was fantastic. And she just seems like she's in a good place. So wouldn't surprise me to see her there either. 
So we're recording this on a Wednesday, Hazy. That's Friday morning, uh, KO Sports and Foxtel. Uh, women's, the, the, what is it, the third women's major of the year. We've still got the Women's US Open to come later in the year, but this one is the Women's PGA Championships from Aronimic in Philadelphia. Fantastic. Great preview, Blakey. Uh, we have got even more guests ahead of us. Well, one more anyhow in particular, but the story that Stephen Pryor is about to tell you on the other side of this break is one you have to hear to believe. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Uh, and look, we've had some already some great guests on today and we've just heard from Hannah Green. Um, but I've been really looking forward, Blakey, to chatting to our next guest who's done something that perhaps you and I, uh, well, I don't know how close you've ever come to having an albatross, but it's certainly something not that's close. never really... Not close. <laughs> no. Well, our next guest is none other than Stephen Pryor, who's uh, been a fantastic golfer in his own right, that he's an amputee is sort of almost secondary to how good a golfer is. We've got him on for a couple of reasons, but not least of which, Blakey, the great man has had his second albatross, uh, can you believe? His second albatross of his career. Uh, a one-armed golfer. Use your, your prosthetic right arm, Steve. Welcome along. You must have been Thank absolutely you, thrilled. Must have been absolutely thrilled to, to see that or hear or whatever that ball drop into the cup. I didn't see it, unfortunately. I had to go up to the green and have a look at it. But, uh, yeah, very stoked when I saw it in the hole. So it's the par 5 14th at Cypress Lakes, which is, uh, for those who haven't been there, um, in the Hunter Valley, just west of Cessnock. Um, it's a 7-iron, I believe, you hit in, so you must have given your driver a bit of curry as well. Yeah, I think I got the driver out to about 280. Um, and then uh, basically an uphill shot to the green from there. So you've got to walk us through it. It can't be that simple. It's got to, it's got to have had something magic happen here. <laughs> it's kind of funny because um, that particular hole, we played the New South Wales Amputee Open there last year. And on that particular hole, I had an eight, which uh, I think I lost the tournament by two strokes because of that hole, probably. Um, but uh, this time, hit a beautiful drive just up the right-hand side of the fairway. Uh, on the left is dead, so you want to stay away from that. You've got trees on the right. Uh, knocked it up the right and had a had a lovely line to the green. Um you sort of hit uphill, probably 15 metres roughly to the green, and there's bunkers at the front. And I just had the perfect little opening between the bunkers. Um, uh, just sort of went... I would have gone with a six iron normally, but I thought, oh, I'm feeling a bit pumped here. Pull out the seven iron. And all I did was sort of pitch on the front of the green and jump forward towards the pin, and I thought, wow, that's going to be a good shot. Um, said to my mate James, uh, I reckon that's pretty close. And he was sort of, oh, yeah, whatever. Anyway, we uh, he played a couple more shots and we got up to the green and uh, couldn't find the ball. And we're sort of looking around, going, where is it? Um, I said, oh, it was pretty close. I'll go and have a nosy in the hole. Uh, went down there and uh, there she was, sitting in the hole, the tailor-made looking up at me. Did your heart skip a beat, Steve? Uh, yeah, a few of those. Yep, definitely. <laughs> it was awesome. Hazy, it's just uh, mind-boggling to think two albatrosses. Um, Stephen, I, I, I don't think I've ever run into anyone, who, even a, a top-line pro who's had two albatrosses. Do you get any gold leaf on the club rooms, you know, on the clubhouse walls or anything like that? Uh, not so much for the albatross. I haven't really done one in a competition match, so 
this was unfortunately a social game. We would have loved it on the scorecard in the uh, in the golf link handicap system, but um, no, it was uh, it was magic actually. And a few of the boys uh, on Facebook have really given me support, so yeah, it's fantastic. I think yeah. you're playing at a Long Reef Golf Club nowadays. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So play um, for three tell us a bit of your, Long Reef. Tell us a bit of your, your history. I know that you lost your your hand or part of your arm in a, a motor, uh, sk- you know, a water skiing accident where the rope is it the rope tied around your your hand and, and pulled too tight. That's right. Yep, that's right. How old yeah, were you so when that, when that happened? And he... yep, uh, seven, seventeen years old. Um, so I suppose uh, after that, I sort of was looking for a sport that I could really compete in. Um, golf being a real leveller with the handicap system was the ideal sport, and uh, probably two years later, really took it up. And uh, I think 1999, I, uh, I became a member at Longreef, and yeah, haven't looked back since. Been loving the game. Is it true you only had a few days off after the, some of the surgery? Uh, yes, I think I went in on Four the days? Sunday. Yeah, went out, uh, went out and had a sort of one-handed round of golf on the Wednesday. So. Yeah, four days later, went out and just had a swing and got into it. What are the issues? I think you're a left-handed player, aren't you? That's right, isn't it? That's you're right, a, yeah. Like you stand yeah. on that side of the ball. So what are the issues for not having the right hand, you know, just having the prosthetic? What, what, how does that kind of work out for you? How, 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 what are the difficulties there? Uh, I suppose the main one is accuracy. So the power comes from the left hand, which is your backhand most of the time. The front hand, sort of the accuracy. Um, I've sort of struggled with that over the years. That's probably the main thing. So I can, I've always been able to strike the ball well, but um, getting it in the right direction is the, the biggest difficulty. So, Steve, we came to know you a little bit um, in the last couple of years at the Australian All Abilities Championship and also, the, you know, the, the chance that you and your peers had to play in the, you know, the uh, events at Metropolitan and then at Royal Melbourne around the World Cup and the President's Cup. Does that just put a yeah. whole buzz through the, the amputee golf community and all, all abilities golfers generally? Absolutely. Yeah, everyone's everyone's buzzing. Um, you know, we've gone from, I think we started amputee golf in 1994. Um, you know, things have just gone from strength to strength in the last sort of two or three years with the help of Christian Hamilton and, uh, and Golf Australia. And, um, yeah, we're, we're really getting on the sort of world stage now. It's fantastic. We So that's this week. Uh, is good that you mentioned that. It's like, you, it's like we planned this, Steve. It's unbelievable. It's the New South Wales Amputee Open this week at Twin Creeks Golf Club, which is uh, on the way out to Penrith from Sydney. Um, and you, yep. you've obviously uh, – you've I think you've won that – I don't want to put uh, the wind in your sails too much, but I believe you've won that nine times previously. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think out of uh, 15 or 16 uh, plays, I've won it nine times. So, yeah, definitely uh, going well on the New South Wales side of things. Absolutely. I've got, to, I've got to sort of bring you back down to, to size here a little bit, mate, because Shane Luke's the defending champion and Jeff Nicholas, <laughs> um, legendary Jeff Nicholas, is, is also playing in the field, I believe. And, and you know, he's the highest ranked, if my memory serves, the highest ranked player on the on the world rankings now from Australian perspective is is uh, you know is it pretty fierce competition you expecting this weekend out at Twin Creeks? Oh yeah, definitely. We've um, I suppose the three of us have been sort of the top of our game or the top of the amputee game for the last uh, 
probably 15 years. Um, if you look at the Australian records, one of us three have won pretty much everything. So, uh, yeah, there's absolutely huge competition going on this weekend. So, uh, really looking forward to it. But uh, good to be in a little, little bit of form at the moment. So, so now also just... It's not coincidental by any stretch, Steve, that we um, talk about this, but it's National Amputee Awareness Week. And Blakey and I might talk about it in a couple of minutes a little bit, uh, a little bit additionally as well. What would you say to those? Because it, it, the number of people who are amputees through either accidents, but more importantly, medical um, issues that have affected their lives is, is an enormous number across Australia. What would you say to them about golf and and the leveller it can be and, and the community spirit that, that you've uh, obviously experienced every time you go out there? Well, I suppose it, it all starts back when I first sort of heard of the amputees. Um, Jeff Nicholas in 2002 ran a tournament at the Lakes uh, in Sydney and um, I was so hesitant about going. I really wasn't interested, didn't know any other amputees at the time. Uh, you know, I was really sort of scared to go there at the time. Um, went out there... I suppose met the guys for the first time and, and they were so welcoming, so opening, uh, you know, to hearing your stories, supporting you, um, you know, really getting behind you. And, you know, I had an absolute ball and, and from there we formed Amputee Golf Australia. Um, and, you know, we've, we've got this real camaraderie amongst, uh, amongst the amputees where we support each other. We can sit down and have a beer and a chat and, um, slow everything down and, and really, I suppose, reflect on uh, our feelings and also um, that sort of golf side of things really brings us together and uh, pushes us in the one direction as well. So it's fantastic. Yeah, Steve, I think in the last couple of years we've all had our eyes open to this kind of thing. The fact that golf is a fantastic game uh, for people like you who have had a, an accident, lost a hand, uh, for paraplegics injured in car accidents, I've seen heaps of them. Hazy, we've seen them at the All Abilities at the Australian Open. Um, it's, a, it's just such a great rehabilitative game for people who have an accident. Yeah, yeah. it really is the perfect sport for, uh, for anyone with a disability. Um, you're not only competing with other people, you're also competing with yourself. And you can get out and have some fun and, and get out in the fresh air. And um, I suppose it's a, a mental rehabilitation as well as, as well as the physical side of things. Uh, Steve, I, I, look, I can't commend you enough. I'm, I'm so embarrassed to... Uh, well, not embarrassed. I'm so excited that you've had your albatross and I feel so sort of <laughs> second rate to be speaking to you right now. It's unbelievable. I've not, not even come close to one and you've had a couple. Uh, well done on that feat. But more importantly, well done on being uh, one of the faces of All Abilities Golf Around Australia. We really appreciate what you do and good luck out at Twin Creeks this week. I'm sure it's going to be a hot competition and if you're in in that Penrith area, get along and have a look because it's going to be a beauty. Great. Thanks for having me, guys, and uh, and chatting a little bit about amputee golf and also my wonderful albatross. Easy, guys. Thanks so much. (laughs) You're a good man, Steve. Thank you. Cheers, bud. Bye. These guys are so impressive, aren't they, Hazy? Stephen Pryor there, um, you know, just wonderful stories. And regardless of whether you've had two albatrosses or not, they're just great. They're great stories. Uh, I, I was blown away um, with um, Christian Hamilton, he mentioned there. He put me into a position of great trust in being able to promote the Australian All Abilities Championship a couple of years ago alongside yourself. And 
look, I think we learned so much about um, what that is and what it means, more importantly, to so many people. And, and that's a really key thing, Blakey, because I wanted to make reference, to, as I said, it is National Amputee Awareness Week this week, which is the 4th to 11th of October. Um, and it's really a chance to shine a light on the number of people in Australia with limb loss and remind amputees and children with limb differences that they're not alone, which is exactly what Steve's just done there. It's a week to celebrate Australians living with limb loss, raising awareness of this lifelong disability, reducing the stigma that amputees can face and sharing limb loss prevention information. Now, Blakey, if I just scroll down something here so I don't miss anything out, um, here's some quick facts about um, amputees in Australia. In Australia, the main causes of amputee, amputation include diabetes, vascular disease, cancer, traumatic accident, infection, and congenital birth def deficiencies. And the latest figure indicates that 8,500 lower limb amputations performed each year in Australia. Does that blow you away? Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and that Incredible. doesn't include, you know, upper limb amputations or limb differences from congenital deficiencies. Um, so it's a huge number. And I think what we all can do is, is make sure that we get around um, the people who invariably you're going to run into people who are experiencing these difficulties and, and you know, that the main be through no fault of their own. Um, if we can welcome them into the game of golf and they can see what um, a difference golf can bring to their lives, um, then I think it's incumbent on all of us as golfers to do that. Well, the message they're sending is life goes on, you know. They just, they're back out there. You just heard Steve say before, you know, he's, he's had an amputation. He's back out playing in four days. It's amazing. Unbelievable. It? It, it's and just a, a really positive attitude that they have, and it's yeah. quite inspirational. And one of the big misconceptions around this is um, that amputees won't want to talk about their experience or their prosthetic. And in our experience, I can't speak for you, I shouldn't speak for you. In my experience, uh, the, the guys that we've seen and the girls around the All Abilities Championships, uh, you know, they've come to terms with what's happened in their lives, whether it's uh, medical or an accident. Uh, related and they're happy to to normalize their experiences by conversation so you know don't run like a uh, you know bull into a china shop and, and into with a conversation but if you can work your way into a normal conversation that's exactly what it'll be they're more than happy to talk about it so as you heard with steve there i'm i'm just full of admiration and i cannot believe he's had two albatrosses i'm staggered <laughs> uh dear so it actually brings me neatly like i'm just running into sort of segue heaven here but get into golf um, which is the um, the new adult beginner program to fast track new golfers onto the course. It's a five week program for all people. Um, it, it teaches the basics in a fun and inclusive environment, and it's got uh, four different versions. There's the uh, get into golf, which is for everyone. There's the get into golf women, the get into golf seniors, and now uh, in perfect link with this, the get into golf all abilities. So if you can. Feel like you can get involved um, and get your club involved in that. Um, get it, check it out. Get into golf on the Golf Australia website, uh, and if you're quick, your club or facility might be eligible for a $250 grant to put towards the marketing of your club or facilities program. There's only a few of them left, so hurry in and be quick. So it's a, it's a, I don't know, it's a, it's a boom thing, and I think it's a great credit to the golfing community that this is where we're heading. This is new, isn't it, too? So, and it's not just, it's an ongoing thing, isn't it, as opposed to the previous, uh, uh, you know, golf month or whatever it was called. Um, but this is, this is the new program, 
and it this is. is what we're about. It is, absolutely. And I should also flag while we're on the plugs for our programs, my golf, um, with the start of Term 4 this week in many states and next week in others, uh, now's the perfect time to get your child into my golf, Australia's national introductory golf program for kids aged 5 to 12, boys and girls. Uh, my golf's the ideal way for your child to learn the basics of golf and have a lot of fun along the way. Programs adhere to COVID safe practices wherever you are. Uh, head to golf.org.au forward slash mygolf to find a program near you and sign up in time for the start of term four. So I don't know, Blakey, it's a, it's a, um, I don't want to do massive amount of community services, but these things all to me make a lot of sense. Absolutely, mate. Um, you know, the, the game is booming in Australia, even though here in Melbourne, um, things are different it's like a two-speed economy australia at the moment because we can't play golf in here here in melbourne at the moment but uh we're only a few weeks away i think but around australia the reports are and we spoke about this last week with the the rounds of golf data that came through you know golf courses are full um people can't go away and travel like they used to just for the time being anyway um and a lot of kids sports been put off so uh, golf is just so popular at the moment. It's a, it's it's a really it's kind of a weird thing that COVID has has given the game a bit of an opportunity, to be honest, uh, to to capitalise. So all of these participation things are, are becoming even more important than ever. Very very true. Now I want to in a, I know we've got a few things to wrap up the show here. Um, I want to make special mention of a bit of a Tasmanian legend, to be honest. Uh, passed away last week, his name, Brett Johns, who was uh, an Australian representative in the mid-80s, a couple of times against New Zealand. He also played um, a key role in an Australian team alongside Lester Peterson, David E. Cobb, and the, um, the legendary Brad Hughes. And they finished runner-up to Japan in the uh, Asia-Pacific Amateur Teams Championship. That was back in 1987. And I think it was in that same year that he actually beat... Uh, a Kiwi in the final of the Australian Amateur as well. Three and two, he beat Phil Aiken uh, at Royal Hobart, which was very popular. And Brett was a stalwart of the Northwest Bay Golf Club and also the Kingston Beach Golf Club, um, just south of Tassie both. Uh, and he, he passed away last week, age 59. So shout out to all the people in Tassie doing it. Tough to hearing that news. Um, he's a great player and more importantly, gave a lot back to the Tasmanian golf community, Blakey. So um, a sad end for a, for a, a great golfer. And there's a community wake for him on the 23rd of October, a Friday at 4:30 p.m. They were intending to uh, to have a lot of people at the clubhouse for the funeral, but they've been told because of the uh, COVID restrictions that it's going to be unfortunately going to be private. I'll be updating that on our website today, Hazy. Perfect. Uh, now, Blakey, before we go away from um Australian golf again. I want to make mention of the WA PGA Championship resuming this week, uh, the Australian PGA Tour. Um, it's a, a three-round event at the Kalgoorlie Golf Club, um, and it's a part of a two-week swing of professional golf returning to WA. They've done an amazing job across there to get golf up and about. This is the first tournaments on the PGA Tour. I don't think they count to the order of merit because of the um, border restrictions and who can and can't play, but nonetheless... Uh, the first event on the Australian PGA Tour since the New Zealand Open finished on March the 1st. So great to have tournament golf back. Um, Kalgoorlie this week 
starting Thursday. Uh, if you're listening on uh, Wednesday, it's obviously tomorrow. It might have uh, be in progress if you're listening on the weekend. Um, and then next week, uh, we're going to talk to um, Gary Thomas, the boss of Golf Western Australia, is the big one at Royal Fremantle Club uh, Golf Club, the West Australian Open. So some some unbelievable talent there uh, in West Australian golf. And it, the fact that some of the pros from around Australia can't join means the amateurs are getting a really good chance in both events. And that includes uh, three or four of the young women who have been exceptional this winter. Uh, Madison Hinson Tolchard, Kirsten Rudgley uh, and Catherine Norris, all of whom we've had on the program at various times. So good luck to them all, Blakey. It's great to see tournament golf back as well. It sure is. And Hazy, I wanted to mention the South Australian Amateur, uh, which was played last week at Mount Osmond. Uh, Just a couple of results there. Charlie Jacobs, who's an 18-year-old, plays out of uh, Adelaide, uh, originally from the York Peninsula. But uh, she broke a drought of hometown winners in the South Australian Amateur on the women's side anyway. I think the last one was 2000. And eleven, and uh, in the final, uh, she, she played against Sarah Wilson from Queensland, who was probably the favourite. She won ten and nine, ten and That's nine. Amazing. She shot, she got, to, she was sort of, I think four up or something like that through eighteen holes. She then shot thirty for the front nine of the second eighteen, and blew it away. So, eighteen-year-old. Charlie Jacobs shot she shot 30 so uh, on the 27th hole she rammed in a birdie and that was game over Sam Slater from Brisbane Golf Club in Queensland won the uh, the men's title 19 year old as well it was a bit of a, a surprise he uh, came up against Josh Armstrong originally from Canberra now Sydney uh, in the final probably Armstrong was favoured to win but uh, Sam got that one which was his biggest title yet so uh, great. great great to see some golf happening and uh, they had some weather issues at Mount Osmond, just outside Adelaide, but they got through the week and, and had a, a good week and two good winners. I, I want to give a special shout to Charlie because I think she's just a lovely young woman. Um, she's been around the South Australian interstate team for a couple of years and always smiling, always ready to have a joke with you and, and just one of the very popular members of that team. Um, so really good to see her uh, fulfilling her potential. So that's that's well done. I'm sure it's the start of bigger and better things and going to college in america at the end of this year she should be should have been at iowa state by now but because of covid she hasn't been able to go but she has a scholarship to go to iowa state she's one of our uh, promising young players great now blackie i should have done this earlier in the show but um I, it's I, last chance to sort of uh, get it in here there's a, a comment that came to us on twitter earlier in the earlier in the week from matt hillier who's a regular on the i guess the golf Twitter scene, if there's such a thing. Um, and he, he, I'm really interested in your take on this situation. He asked a great question about Ken Brown, who's one of the commentators on the European tour. And his use on Saturday in that wild weather that we referred to before around Lucas Herbert, he's, that Ken Brown was actively helping um, Lee Westwood search for lost balls in the brutal rough at the Renaissance Club. And yet in the same area of the, of the tournament, they didn't use the uh, opportunity to do the same for Lucas Herbert, even though they had shown footage of his errant drives going into that brutal rough. Um, right. I, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. I, I sort of put it down to, um, without putting words in your mouth, the seniority of someone like a, a Lee Westwood and the familiarity that Ken Brown and those, those guys have with him. Um, I don't think it's necessarily an anti 
Australian or anti-Lucas Herbert bias, but rather a pro, um, an advantage, I suppose, given to someone that they've had a lot of experience with over the years. And I guess, Hazy, it's a, a furthering of what's been happening for a long time with, remember, what they used to say about Arnold Palmer or Jack Nicholas, you know, if they hit one sideways, and probably more recently Tiger, you know, they've always got a crowd there, so they're never going to lose a ball in long grass because there's always a crowd watching them. Um, in this instance, at the Scottish Open, there was no crowd at all. So, um, you know, but it's it's unfortunate, but it's reality, I guess, is what I would say. Um, Westwood's playing, you know, in his home, home place, um, albeit English in Scotland, but in Britain at least. And, um, you know, he's a, a name player. Lucas has got that ahead of him maybe. Maybe he can take advantage of that pretty soon. Yeah, and I, look, I think that um, it comes with the, um, the TV uh, game as well and that the more they have the big names, which clearly is Lee Westwood in this instance, at the top of the leaderboard and helping out. It helps their coverage too, whereas I don't think as good a player as he is just at the moment that Lucas Herbert's adding bums to seats in uh, in the middle of Cornwall or Birmingham just at the moment. So you look at, I think Matt's, Matt's got a really good point there um, about the inconsistencies, but I think it's just a, you know, it's just a quirky fact. It, it does do my head in, and I, I know you're the same, uh, trying to watch Australians on the the coverage of the various tours because sometimes you can see you might look on your phone and see that uh, you know maybe Cameron Davis is jumping up the leaderboard and you just don't see you might not see him at all uh, they they do they are heavily uh, biased towards the big name players and if you're not in that bunch I mean that's fine for Jason Day or Adam Scott or even Mark Leishman but uh, you know or, or Hannah Green or Minji Lee on the women's side but if you're not in that top bracket you tend to get forgotten and I noticed that with we spoke earlier about Cameron Davis uh, playing last weekend in America and, and as soon as he dropped off the pace he was just invisible and he was he was playing in the same group with Sergio obviously and they'd show Sergio's shot and then they'd just cut straight away and they wouldn't even wouldn't even show his shot on the same hole you know you could see him standing there it's, it's quite frustrating but um, you know, in our limited experience of sort of media, like broadcast coverage of tournaments, it, it's there's a lot happening, isn't there? So you can't show everyone, and a lot of it goes onto tape. Uh, and if someone, you'd like to think, if if an Australian does get to the lead, we we would see them. Um, but it does it does my head in. There's no doubt about it. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Actually, we should grill Andy Ma when he returns, if and when he returns, if I let him back into the fray, that is, Blakey, because you've been sitting temporary <laughs> again. Him and uh, Ali Whitaker, who have got much more experience with the TV, about the, the nuances around the decisions that are made, because it does frustrate the, the punters like you and I a little bit. Um, that said, I think, given what we said earlier on, we've, we've got a lot more Aussies banging down a lot more doors in the last couple of years, so hopefully we get to used to seeing them a bit more on tours in coming years. Blakey, thank you so much. We've covered a lot of ground there. Um, hopefully everyone's going to be watching an Aussie women, a woman or two do so well this week at Aronimink. And uh, for your time, we appreciate that. Thank you. Good on you, Hazy. And we'll be back to do another Inside the Ropes again next week.